0: One,
1: two, three, four. Screen time, screen time! Screen time! Screen time! Screen time! It's my screen time, too! Screen time! Hello, and welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts, to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie and I'm Debra and I have two kids Jay he's six and Kenny he's three
0: and I have three kids Tony is 12 and Libby and Nate are nine. I can't believe it. (laughs) Time marches on and they are so adorable aren't they? They do tend to be yes. We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or sometimes awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms
1: too. Would you like to go first? Sure. So I believe I have talked before in this space about how my children interact in the car as far as attempting to seize my attention is concerned. Well, we have reached a new level in which one of them cannot even say two words to me without the other one saying, Mom, 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 (laughs) (laughs) and totally ignoring their sibling who has started saying something else, even if they have nothing to say. (laughs) Yeah, it's really reached a fever pitch and we I can't even like. What's the word I'm looking for? I can't even distract them with music because it's the same with music. I put on a song and within two seconds, one of them says, I don't want to listen to this song. Can we skip it? And the other one says, I do want to listen to this song.
0: That is so frustrating. I've stopped adjusting music or whatever we're listening to while I'm driving. I'm just like, I can't.
1: Mm -hmm. And I have, Kevin definitely has that policy and I need to, I I've definitely started being like, it's not safe for me to make that change right now. I have to look at the road. So I'm mm-hmm. blaming safe driving for not being able to skip past songs. but really, their like intolerance of one another in the car is pretty hilarious.
0: That's too bad. And they don't even have to sit right next to one another.
1: No or do they? Well, no, because they we have the seats on either side, like neither of them is in the middle. But there is still the, you're touching my seat. Get your foot off my seat. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know how you survived with three. Like, did, you were able to squeeze them all in the back of a car, or did you have to get, like, a minivan or something?
0: Well, we have a minivan, but Jeremy's car has a small back seat, and we avoid we avoided taking that when they were still in booster seats because it was just too cramped.
1: Yeah. Um, do you remember when we were kids and there was like a seat in the front seat between the driver and the passenger? oh yeah and yeah. somehow and you were big sit there? old like yeah.
0: 1990s era sedans
1: yeah that is just wild to contemplate <laughs> <laughs> like once we could fit a family of six in a sedan and everyone was fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what have your kids been up to other than having birthdays? So, Libby's new year's resolution was that she
0: was going to be a dog for one entire day. I love this. So, it was more like a discreet project than a year-long <laughs> self-improvement. It's really resolution. keeping things manageable
1: though, like Clearly it's not sustainable for a whole year.
0: (laughs) So Nate, her twin, who is in third grade with her, was like, you cannot do this at school. And so she heeded his advice. She did it at home. And it was crazy. She acted in character as a dog for the entire day. And she wouldn't, she didn't talk. She barked. She did write some notes as her dog persona but I couldn't read the writing it was so sloppy it wasn't even helpful and the next day I asked her about it and she was like well dogs don't have posable thumbs so I couldn't write it in neat handwriting I couldn't use my thumb because I was a dog
1: I love everything about this the commitment it was so It was
0: funny, but also weird. And like, she ate her meals off the plate, off the kitchen floor and Jeremy took some pictures. And I was like, people are going to think that that's like our punishment.
1: (laughs) No, I love that. That Our family has like a
0: degrading punishment for, I don't know what, what would constitute (laughs) making a child eat off the floor
1: it was funny that is amazing side note has she switched her preferences from big cats to dogs
0: yeah ever since we got Coco okay she's been a dog person
1: I mean at least like she didn't live her life as a tiger for a full day she may have like tried to eat someone right
0: (laughs) a domesticated dog yeah you're right that is a manageable animal (laughs) Happy new year. (laughs) (laughs) So should we move on to screen time in the news? Let's do it. Okay. You picked out a good article from Vulture, which is a best animation of 2021 roundup by Eric Vila-Spoas and John Mayer. It was uh, last updated on December 21st. And it's like a top 10 of the best animated properties eight of which are actually foreign, either from Japan or from European countries, which um, the authors pointed out, says something about the quality of United States produced animation, I guess. A lot of the selections on this list are mostly made for adults. And your question is, how does this make you feel about the future of good kids content? Does the development of the genre have to be pushing it to more adult fare? I'm curious what you think.
1: This just made me angry. And really, I don't know if I will put this in the podcast, but it made me think a bit about the professionalization of librarianism. Mm. And it's the same with other professions, right? Like the more something becomes codified, the more you need to have certain qualifications to participate in a given profession. Often you have more marginalized groups being pushed out of that profession or being pushed to uh, lower level positions. Mm -hmm. This is the case with medicine. It's also the case with librarianship, which just happens to be what you and I know best. I kind of felt echoes of that with this animation list. It's like in order to be good, you have to be heavy and complex and often violent or explicit in another way to merit a place on this list. Because really there were two, I would say, kid adjacent titles on the top 10. And one was Encanto, which was the latest Disney release. And the other was City of Ghosts, which I would kind of argue isn't so... It's not geared towards kids. It's not inappropriate for kids.
0: Yeah, the article says it's all ages.
1: I've watched an episode or two and I liked it a lot, but I wouldn't call it a kid's show. Mm -hmm. It made me angry and it made me sad because we are living in a time of a huge explosion of content specifically for kids. And I think we're doing animation a disservice by saying it can only be good if it moves on from those that audience and those topics. I don't know. What did you
0: think? I I totally agree with you. I think this is a good, like this is why comedies don't win best picture. Mm -hmm. Because if something like goes down really easily, it's not merited like good art. Yes. Like I think in art criticism, there's like this notion that in order for it to be really, Award winning and timeless, there has to be like suffering. And so, like, a war movie is always going to win over a comedy. And they did put Kid Cosmic and Maya and the Three, which while I was reading the list, I was expecting Maya and the Three at least to come up. And that's arguably for a little bit older audience, too.
1: Right, Um, they did have some more kid-friendly content in the honorable mentions section, which fell below this top 10 list. And
0: I also did wonder about this list. Like, are they good and they happen to be animated? Because it didn't seem like some of them. It seemed like the animation was really groundbreaking, but not all of them. Like, I don't know. On what merits was this
1: judged? It It was just a couple of dudes. Yeah, it was just a couple of dudes probably don't even have kids, so like they're not sitting around watching Santiago of the Seas and thinking, my, this looks like a high-quality production on a pretty low budget. Right, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Listeners, let us know if you've watched any of these super heavy grown-up-oriented animated films or TV shows and whether we should check them out in our free time. I guess I've been guilty of kind of ignoring grown-up animation since having children. Um, I know there's there are shows like Big Mouth that like
0: a lot of people watch. I'm just not interested in watching animation on my own time unless it's for the podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, think about the ones that have gotten such critical acclaim. Like, remember when everyone was talking about BoJack Horseman? I just couldn't make myself watch it. mm Yeah, same. So maybe we're the. <laughs> Maybe we're the wrong people in this equation. Listeners, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, moving right along.
0: <laughs> so, in our general news, do you have any resolutions related to screen time as we move into
1: 2022? Do you remember a while back we read that article? And I'm sorry, I don't remember what publication it came from. It may have been the New York Times. um, And it was a woman talking about how she finally started playing video games with her son. And she felt so much better about his relationship to video games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I kind of feel like I got to do it. I got to find some video game to play with my kids that I can at least somewhat experience with them. Because they played a lot over Christmas break, and I, f- like, they weren't in school. They would have been, like, consuming more screens anyway, but I felt it so much more as, like, a divorce from family life because I wasn't participating in it at all.
0: Hmm. Does Kevin play with them?
1: Uh he's a big gamer, right? I mean, I wouldn't say a big gamer, and it depends on the game. Uh-huh. Um. And he's just he's been traveling a lot. So yeah, I yeah, this is a a screen time resolution for myself and not for something I'm going to restrict for my children, which I guess is not the norm. (laughs) How about you? Do you have a resolution? I don't generally make resolutions.
0: So no, (laughs) I will tell you, though, I'm not a video game person. And I just kind of leave that to Jeremy and mm-hmm. I think that's his purview um, but I have been playing the game 2048. What is that? It's just like this little sort of Tetrisy y black game where you get numbers and they multiply and you're just trying to get these tiles to make bigger numbers and find matches and it's actually pretty fun and that's the only game I play. That- is
1: it an app on your phone? It can be, I just play it like
0: in the web browser on my
1: phone and
0: Nate is always like, why don't you get that app? (laughs) Like, I don't know. Cause then I'd be like really committing to it. (laughs) We have um, had Tetris on an iPad and I have impressed my children with how good I am at Tetris, which is a holdover for my youth.
1: Uh, I do have one other follow-up from our last episode, our review of 8-Bit Christmas. Yeah. I have a correction. I stated that a Christmas story was played on a loop on TBS on Christmas, but it's not. It's TNT. So I am sorry, listeners, um, if you flocked to TBS trying to find a Christmas story and did not realize that if you moved a mere one or two channels up or down, it was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, our main topic of the day is one of vulture's top 10 animated pieces of the year, although we did not know that when we chose it. It is the Disney release Encanto, which came out on November 24th in theaters. I was really sad because I really wanted to see it, but then it came out on Disney Plus a mere 1 month later on December 24th. So, At least I only had to be sad for a month. It is rated PG. It has an hour and 42 minute runtime, squeaking past that 90 minute limit that we like to see. It was produced, as I mentioned, by Walt Disney Animation Studios, and they have of course been responsible for recent juggernauts like Frozen, less of a juggernaut is Raya and the Last Dragon, and Luca, and it's also the home for all the new Pixar releases. This one was directed by Byron Howard, who also directed Zootopia, Tangled, and Bolt, which we covered a million years ago on the podcast, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And also by Jared Bush. Bush was also one of the writers. He also wrote the screenplay for Zootopia and Moana. The other credited screenplay writer is Cherise Castro-Smith, who's also written for series like Sweet Bitter and The Haunting of Hill House, which... You know, when you think about the role that the house plays in this movie, it's an insta- <laughs> it's an interesting counterpoint. Uh, and of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote the original songs and was also involved in the story creation. So very bare bones summary. The only non-powered member of a big magical Colombian family, Mirabelle, has to save her family and her community when their magic is threatened. Why did we pick it? We really liked Disney's last release, which was Raya and the Last Dragon, but we kind of lamented its lack of music, so we were excited for a big new Disney musical. And this and Sing 2 were the big kids' holiday movie releases, so we wanted to cover them as soon as we reasonably could.
0: So let's talk about our general thoughts at first. I have to tell you, we watched this on New Year's Eve, part of our like staying in holiday screen time extravaganza. And I don't know if it's because I drank a little champagne beforehand or if because it was like a holiday, but I really, really liked it. It felt very special. What did you think? Did you like it?
1: I watched it on the day we traveled back. We traveled for the holidays. To visit my family in Wisconsin. And the day we traveled back, we had to wake up at three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, we got back to our house at like 4 p.m. It was a really long day. And we were just trying to like push the kids through to a reasonable bedtime. So we turned on Encanto, and I am not lying when I say that I started crying at minute 14, and I don't think I stepped until the credits rolled. Oh, <laughs> like, Katie. And I think it was just lack of sleep. Um, yeah. But I, I was really emotionally affected, but then afterwards I thought about the movie, and I was like, I did not like that because I did not like that experience of feeling so emotional, I watched yeah. it again, thankfully, in preparation for this episode. Still started crying at minute 14, but came away with a much more, I think, favorable and nuanced impression of the film. <laughs> That's funny. What is that what happens at minute 14? Oh, well, okay, slight spoiler. We already told you that Mirabelle is non-powered, which I kind of feel like is not a spoiler for the movie. It's the whole premise. Mm-hmm. But minute 14 is when they do that flashback to her walking up the stairs when she's a little kid and she's going to get her magical gift at her magical door and then the door disappears. Yeah,
0: that is a really sad moment. Yeah, yeah, and they do a really nice job of the, the animators like making Mirabelle, like young Mirabelle. Look, like, mm-hmm. especially adorable.
1: Yeah, she looks so hopeful.
0: So it has a lot, the movie has a lot to do with family, which is a theme in Disney movies of late, like Coco and embracing the family that you're born into, or Raya and the Last Dra- Dragon, making the family, like making your family your own. What did we think about the appeal of the multi-generational family home in in Encanto. I know it's not like an old, it is an old concept. Like people have been living together, grandparents, cousins in houses for time immemorial, but it's kind of a trend in the United States more recently for like people in our socioeconomic circumstances.
1: I always love to see it. I Mm -hmm. it makes me feel so warm and happy and like favorably disposed to all these people who are like joyfully living on top of one another
0: yeah and it's a good premise for either a television show or a movie because you just have so many characters and there's so many like mundane but funny ways that they can kind of encroach on one another like I want I think about uh oh my gosh the Danny Tanner full house (laughs) (laughs) which wasn't multi-generational but there were a lot of people living in that house together yeah you're not wrong (laughs) (laughs) um so Disney has continued to kind of move away from the traditional fairy tale plot was frozen to the last time it was really a princess
1: movie I mean did Raya count as a princess her father was like a ruler I don't
0: think it counts in the same way that like Moana and Frozen and the more contemporary princess tales are because it wasn't a musical good point so I but Mirabelle I I don't know this family isn't exactly royal they do live like above everybody else in their
1: village but I wouldn't count Mirabelle as a princess really yeah I do wonder what sort of conscious expansion Disney is making away from their very lucrative Disney princesses branding and how a character like Mirabelle would fit in there like our little girl is going to be lining up to meet Mirabelle
0: maybe not but her look would be easy to duplicate like you would get the green glasses fake green glasses like sweater with beautiful embroidery on it. You could make a Mirabelle costume or buy one at Target.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. I'm sure we'll be seeing many a plasticized version at Target this Halloween.
0: Yeah, we also saw in Encanto moving away from like the default white American slash European backdrops. This is very rooted in its setting in Colombia. Most of the actors, I think, are Latinx. What did you think about the setting and the all of it, like the animation, the music? Was it believably
1: Colombian for you? I mean, huge uh, statement that I have very little familiarity with Colombian culture to begin with, um, but it felt very authentic. I think seeing something like this and Raya and Moana and anytime Disney tries to step outside of that like default Anglo-European box it just makes me want to fast forward into the future where like we don't have to point to these single representations like oh the princess and the frog is the black princess movie or right you know uh Encanto is the Colombian cartoon you know like I I look forward to a day when each one doesn't have to be quite so freighted with the representation for an entire culture. Right, right. What did you think?
0: I liked it. Also, I am not very familiar with Colombian culture. I I liked it. It didn't feel like cultural appropriate appropriation to me or exploitative. It felt like a celebration of like the music and the colors and the sort of, I assume I assume it's like based on some sort of fable but I don't know that for sure yep I just
1: made a I don't know face
0: <laughs> um so let's move quickly on from that <laughs> and talk about the cast and the characters um was there anybody in that you particularly loved or hated
1: I loved the relationship between Mirabelle and her two sisters So Mm -hmm. her one sister is the strong one and her other sister is the perfect one. And the shorthand they were able to do to kind of catch you up on how those relationships were at the beginning of the movie and the way they evolved throughout the movie, I just thought as someone with sisters, it was very nicely done. Yeah. I also liked,
0: and this might be like sort of an underrated part of the movie, like Mirabelle's dad doesn't have a secret power because he married into the family. And so... They have some cute touching moments where he's like, it's okay. I don't have magic powers either. We just got to deal with all these people and their big egos (laughs) related to their magic. I liked that part of it. I really liked Louisa. She's like the strong sister. And that was a fun character. So ever since we've watched the movie... And rewatched it and listened to the soundtrack a bunch of times. My kids' like favorite conversational topic is, "Which power would you want?"
1: Oh.
0: Um, so have you thought about that at all? If you were able to pick a power of any of these characters, what would you choose?
1: Hmm. I like the cousin that can change form to be to look Mm -hmm. however he wants and I also like Mirabelle's mother can heal people with her food I it would be a toss-up between the two of those I think how about you right
0: yeah I think that's like every mother's dream, right? <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> The ultimate <laughs> maternal gift.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's definitely like one of my major love languages is like feeding people <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, I really would like to be strong enough to pick up six donkeys and just shove them, toss them in a pen field.
1: Yeah. I noticed that you really struggled to even pick up one donkey.
0: It would be useful to pick up a church and move it. <laughs> no, she
1: is like terrifyingly strong.
0: <laughs> and it's funny, like she at one point hugs Mirabel, and you can tell it's just like way too tight.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We're not used to doing this. You haven't like gauged the appropriate level to hug at.
0: <laughs> and you have a couple of observations about the actor who plays Mirabel and um, Alan
1: Tudyk. Yeah. Okay. So the actress that voices Mirabelle is Stephanie Beatri- Beatrice. I don't. Stephanie Beatrice. I am sorry if that's not how you pronounce your last name. Um, From Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Did you watch that show? I did not. So I watched maybe the first season uh, and fell off pretty sharply. After that, I think because I had children. I think that's when that happened. Um, mm-hmm. But she plays like a very hard edged cop character and so I would never if I had not looked it up on IMDb I would never have known that this was her and I don't know why every time we watch an animated film and I'm surprised that an actor has such a range like that's how the industry works like that's literally their job (laughs)
0: Yeah, but you do think like, I mean, some people are just character actors, and they're very typecast a lot of the time. So that's, that's fun. Now I do want to see Brooklyn Nine-Nine so I can see this actor in a completely different role.
1: I mean, it's probably a weird thing to go back and watch it after all the obvious culture con- cultural conversations we've been having about the role of the police and everything. But I do mm. remember it being funny while I watched mm-hmm. it. And then the other thing I had to say about Alan Tudyk is I am j- I just totally dig his role now as like the dude that makes animal sounds in Disney movies. And <laughs> I know he has his own successful show right now. It gets pretty good reviews. I think it's been renewed for a second season. I like him as an actor actor, but I just also love that he comes in to like snort or caw into a microphone for a day or so in all these Disney cartoons.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, So did you have any thoughts on the animation?
1: The one thing I really liked is that here was this movie that takes place almost entirely inside of one house. Mm -hmm. And yet they were able to create such totally different worlds within the bedrooms of the different characters. Yes. And I really appreciated that. It felt uh, very fully realized. Mm hmm. Yeah, I liked that the house was a character, too. Because the
0: house, like, communicates with its inhabitants.
1: Yeah, and not, like, New York City is a character in Sex in the City. It, like, literally communicates. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I liked the animation because, like, the
0: details of just, like, the character's hair and how it, the hair moves when they walk, like, that felt very perfect and well-rendered. But then there are the elements of like magical realism when like like, she opens the door to Bruno's room and it's like a giant sand dune. (laughs) Like the animation worked very well when it was like kind of a fantastical landscape also.
1: The one detail that I found myself really taken with was that Mirabelle is the non-powered member of the family. So she has to find another way to distinguish herself and she kind of becomes the crafty one. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, like, they never address explicitly. No one ever talks about it. But you can tell even just looking at her clothes, like, they're beautifully embroidered. But you can totally tell she did it herself. Mm-hmm. It was a yeah. really sweet observation.
0: Lynn manuel Miranda is one of our favorites of all time. And he wrote the music. What did you think?
1: So upon my first tear-streaked viewing I really did not care for the music nearly as much as I did in the other recent Lin-Manuel Miranda movie Vivo on Netflix Mm -hmm. but then I watched it a second time and I developed a new appreciation so now I'm fully on board what did you think I liked
0: several of the songs uh the one about Bruno is like definitely an earworm Mm mm-hmm um, I liked Luisa's song. I liked the one it's about, it's in Spanish and it's about the lyrics are about butterflies. And it's when the grandmother is telling her story of how like she had the three babies and they had the flea and the husband died. And that one is definitely very sentimental, but well done. I liked the music. I'm going to hear it a lot. Cause my kids got the soundtrack.
1: Yeah, I uh, side note not related to the music. Did you also think Abuela was horrible?
0: Yeah, you know, I kind of thought at one point in the movie that it was gonna take sort of like a democratic socialist turn because she's been like so hanging on to this power and like she keeps saying it's for the good of the community, but you don't really see anything. That their like rich family is doing for the good of the community.
1: Well, except for so, Louisa, she moved that whole church.
0: She that's rerouted true. the river. That's true. That's true.
1: <laughs> but yeah, she
0: seems very like power hungry, and like she'll do anything to just hang on to the magic.
1: And she's so casually cruel to Mirabel. It was really sad. I know. I know. Uh, But speaking of Mirabelle, again, back to the music. So the first song in the movie is like the exposition song. It's Mm -hmm. like the family Madrigal number. And I didn't get it. Like she is giving us all the exposition we need about the different family members. But I couldn't stop thinking they are essentially the ruling family in this very small town. Who is she explaining this to? Like who doesn't know? Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. It was a good song and it conveyed the information it needed to, but I couldn't get past the whole, like, even if these kids were so young, they had never seen, like, a child come into their gifts. They would have heard about it. Right. Right. Huh. I did not think about that, but you're right. I mean, I get it. You have to pass that information on somehow. Maybe it would have helped if, like, they had said, oh, there are newcomers to the village or something like that.
0: (laughs) Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of the very large family that Mirabelle is a part of, did you feel like the length of the movie was able to serve all the characters? It sort of has like a f- anthology feel because Mirabelle just like goes and has a scene with each member of the family. In the plot it it does the plot does develop, but it's the other characters don't really interact with one another all that much.
1: right. After first viewing, I would have said no. After second viewing, I would say for an hour and 45 minute long movie or however long it was, it did a fine job. There were only a couple family members that it felt like were really underserved. But, you know, it's all ultimately in service of telling Mirabelle's story. So does it really matter that we don't get to spend any time with her shapeshifting cousin or um, really much time with her mother. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. What did you think?
0: It had sort of a novel in stories feel to it at times, which is like a relatively new term for fiction. And like the first time I read a quote unquote novel in stories, I was like, well, this is a novel that wasn't really structured very well. Right. So they're calling the chapters.
1: Short story. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: I I did like it. I feel like it could also be like a Maya and the three extended miniseries, too, because there's a lot to this story. But well, that's... you know
1: that Disney loves the offshoot animated series. So I'm I... sure we're gonna get yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I will not sure. be shocked. So how did you feel about
0: the 30 day theatrical window like you and I are the same we're not going to movie theaters did you feel like that was enough time for the risk takers who are going to movie theaters to see it on the big screen I'm jealous of them.
1: I don't care about them. like to me like it's making the best of a bad situation if we have to take this tremendous step backwards and start releasing movies only in theaters like fine if you want to do it for 30 days that's fine I'm just glad it's not longer
0: Mm -hmm.
1: we didn't pay for this right no it was just part of
0: Disney plus yeah I haven't really minded even though we're paying for Disney plus I don't mind paying the what like $20 to watch a new release because I would spend way more on tickets and popcorn if I was going to see it in the movie I don't mind that so much
1: yeah I mean, you look at some of those nice seats, like the recliner seats in the theater costs over 20 bucks per person. Right. Were you able to compare Encanto to any movie or TV show for grown-ups? Okay, I have two for you. One is Succession. <laughs> I thought of that too, but I've never seen it. So I was like, I guess I can't say it. And Mirabella's Cousin Greg. Cause
0: Greg's like the only like young family member who doesn't have money. Okay, The rest of them are all <laughs> super wealthy. Um, And then I thought of, this is a work of literature, but there's this book that I read recently called Red Island House. And it's actually like novel a novel in stories, but it's done well. And the house is the main, is like a character. So it made me think of Encanto or Encanto made me think of it. It's a really good book if you get to it. You are always
1: throwing out the good book recommendations. (laughs) I am currently just starting the latest book in the Outlander series. And I mean, just because I'm reading it, it kind of made me think of this movie because it's also about like a very sprawling, large family and all the different uh, characters kind of get to say their own piece. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're all ultimately orbiting around one single character. Uh, But the show it made me think of was The Sopranos. Because again, with like the big family, that's all like working towards a common goal, but they all have their like individual roles to play.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Did you cast the gritty HBO reboot? Um, So I've been watching And Just Like That, the Sex and the City new version. And um, Sarah Ramirez has... Like a great, great role on that show. Have you seen it? Mm -mm, Um, And I would cast her as Mirabelle. So she plays, I don't know about Sarah Ramirez's like in real life pronouns, but they're playing a podcast host who uses they, them pronouns. Um, So I would cast them as Mirabelle. And then I wanted sort of a gender bending rest of the cast. So I would cast Leslie Jones as Louisa. I think she has the frame to pull it off. I, I would believe that she could pick up a few donkeys. (laughs) I would cast Tilda Swinton as Bruno, the strange uncle. (laughs) (laughs) I would cast Billy Porter as Isabel, the perfect sister. And
1: that's as far as I got. Yeah. I also did not cast the whole family because we would be here all day. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I punted as I sometimes do and thought it would be nice to see Stephanie Beatrice bring some of her like hard edge character to Mirabelle um, because Mirabelle is so sweet. (laughs) She's trying so hard. I could just stand to see her be a little bit of a jerk. And then, you know, we've had two musicals out recently with like large Latinx casts. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which being West Side Story. So mm-hmm. I would love to see Rita Moreno playing Abuela. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, But then that kind of like, so if you have Stephanie Beatrice playing Mirabel, like that obviously ages up the character. Mm-hmm. And then Rita Moreno is quite a bit, she's quite old. So like to fit someone in the middle generation, I really struggled with.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And then I thought maybe it would be fun to have Anthony Ramos, because In the Heights was the other musical I was thinking of, play Bruno, but then obviously he's much too young if we're doing it that way. I don't know why I was taking it that seriously.
0: Yeah, he, he would be good in any number of roles. He would be good as the
1: kid who talks to animals. Oh, yeah, that would be much more fitting to his age range, I guess, but that's such a small part. It is. And then I was but like, he well, plays he plays a boy in Hamilton. Doesn't he play? Like, you're right. He does. Guy. He does. OK, that's <laughs> a good point. And then I was thinking about John Leguizamo because he does the voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but John Leguizamo is one of those actors that I tend to like him when he does voices in animated films. But I don't love him as a real person actor for whatever reason.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can see that.
1: Do you think it was better when we were kids? no.
0: Lin-Manuel Miranda was not writing the music. I mean, we had Elton John writing Disney, so that was good. But I think this was better than some of my favorites, even for my youth.
1: Yeah, I think the Broadway-style animated musical had to walk before it could run. And we had some great examples growing up, but like, when it comes to the music, I just feel like the form has progressed appropriately as it should. And uh, so we've got some really, really good things now and really good things to look forward to in the future. Mm -hmm. Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily?
0: No, but that's because my kids really liked it. I will definitely be watching it with them again and listening to the album on repeat. (laughs) How about you?
1: I would not watch it alone voluntarily because, as you know, I do not like to feel my feelings. (laughs) And so knowing in advance that it's going to make me cry, I will not be seeking it out. Although, as you said, I'm sure I will watch it with the family again. Which brings us to 10 seconds on whether or not this is good for our kids.
0: I thought it was fun. I think there are some scary parts for younger viewers that you might want to be aware of. But overall, I thought it was fine for kids.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think as usual, uh, you have to watch out for age ranges as far as appreciating the complexity of the plot. Because there is a lot Mm -hmm. going on, a lot of characters to keep track of. There were funny bits that my three-year-old could appreciate and laugh at but I don't think he was really coming away with a larger understanding of what the whole movie was about. And Mm -hmm. in a similar sense, you know, Jay enjoyed it that little bit much more, but he's only six. Uh, I think probably your twins might be in the sweet spot. Yeah. I think that's definitely a good spot
0: to be in because Tony watched it and he liked it, but he wasn't like, I want to watch it again the next day. Right. Right. (laughs) Right.
1: All right, here's the big question. I think I know what you're going to say. Ratings? Five. (laughs) Yeah, this was really sweet. You know, I'm a contrarian at heart, and I would love to not give it five stars just because it's like (laughs) a mainstream Disney musical. But it was really charming. And if anything, improved on a second viewing, which I think speaks to its quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Look at our website. We're at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even on Gmail at myscreentime2. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye.